This is a podcast from 3RRR, 102.7 FM in Melbourne. Truly independent community radio. It's one minute past nine. You're tuned to 102.7 Triple R. Radio Marinara is the name of this program. We're a show about all things wet and salty. My name's Bron Burton. And I'm Angeline Charles. How are you, Angeline? I'm good. How good. are you? Very well, thank you. Into this late spring run of weather. Yes. Mm, good diving weather. It is good diving weather. Very calm. Yeah. Yeah, very nice. Seeing all sorts of amazing underwater photography coming through from all sorts of places. Blegowrie, Rye... Um, oh, San Remo. I saw some amazing footage from uh, oh, nice. under, under yep. San Remo Pier. So you've been doing virtual diving. Yeah. <laughs> it's as close as I'm getting these days. Thank you very much, Tim, for your wonderful vital bits. Thank you very much, Andrew, for your wonderful soulful bits. Uh, let's go through the program. We have shortly coming up, you might remember a few weeks ago, Harlan and Jamie came in to present uh, a little segment to us on uh, an entry they put in through for a science talent search. And it was a virtual reality kind of game. It was like a choose your own adventure story. And it was all to do with um, trying to save the planet, but most importantly, the marine environment. So making choices about the sorts of things that you might do, the sorts of plastics you might buy, what you do with the plastics after you've used them, all that sort of thing. And, um, you know, you score points for your answers to certain questions and you get more points of course if you give the answers that are going to lead to a better environmental outcome particularly marine environmental outcome anyway they did um, so well with their entry and uh, ended up winning an award we thought it might be kind of cool to invite them back that's a great idea because they have a particular interest in marine environment and these boys are going to be doing big things one day and um we thought we'd invite them back. So they're going to come in and present a little segment on ocean cleanups in general, but specifically the sea bin project, which you might have been seeing um, some coverage. I've seen that too. Yeah. So, Bron, do you mean we could have our own boy in slut just sitting out there in the green room right now? Yeah. We could. Okay, that's awesome. They're only two years younger than boy in slut. <laughs> 
when he started it. That's right. Yeah. Um, we can. They know about Boy and Slat too, which is kind of cool. Oh, great. Given that Good. these boys are, I can't remember. They're, I reckon they're about maybe 10, maybe 11. Can you see them? I've got my back maybe to the 12. green room. Maybe 12? <laughs> 10. 10. We go 10. Okay. Excellent. <laughs> um, brilliant. So that's going to be great. And, Angeline, we're going to be sort of wrapping that up in, in part of a, a, a general discussion around some great campaign work going. I've got Girl With Straws written down on my notes. I have. <clears throat> I've got a story with uh, about a girl who's got a campaign about uh, removing straws, you know, plastic straws mm. that we drink out of, uh, our drink drinks out of, um, that's going. And she's she's nine, in fact. That's her <gasps> campaign that's going. And guess what, Bron? She's got more likes on Facebook than Radio Marinara. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> she's got over a 1,000. <gasps> that's awesome. That's fantastic. Where's she from? <laughs> she is from Queensland. Oh, yeah. brilliant. Good on you. All right. Excellent. Looking forward to hearing about that. I'm not at all jealous. No, really. <laughs> I know. I knew that wouldn't bring out the competitive side in you. <laughs> no, I think it's awesome. She's only nine. That's brilliant. Um, now, we I had planned to uh, hit Terry Allen up for a dive report. Terry was supposed to be coming in today, but we're um, now going to be speaking with her on the phone towards the end of the program. I'll speak about that in a moment. So um, I might actually give Terry a quick call for a dive report in the middle of the show as well. Then coming into studio, Cade Mills is going to be speaking with us about the upcoming Victorian fish count. And also there's an incredible event happening towards the end of the week um, that AMSA Victoria are producing. AMSA is the Australian Marine Sciences Association. This is called Showcase for Marine Scientists. I was checking it out uh, on their website last night. They've got some incredible speakers lined up just for this this, uh, one day. Um, So anyway, won't go through them now. We'll let Cade uh, talk about that. But yeah, just something definitely to put into your calendar for later on this week and it's cheap as chips it's ten dollars actually chips aren't that cheap anymore have you noticed (laughs) (laughs) i have ten uh ten dollars for and then eight dollars concession to go along it's actually this coming friday the 17th of november from 6 till 7 30 at story hall at rmit but kate's gonna cade is gonna talk to us about that and then we're going to be crossing to terry on the phone Terry, terry has been diving She's got an amazing diving uh, adventure and is going to be telling us all about that, including the migrating crabs of Christmas Island. Have you heard about these incredible crabs? I have, yes. Mm. I have. They're amazing. So there you go. Quick uh, weather report and then we've got some time for a bit of news. Today, 26, it was lovely yesterday, same today, areas of morning fog, low cloud then sunny, light winds becoming south east to southwesterly, 15 to 25 kilometres an hour in the afternoon and then tending east to southeasterly in the late evening. Tomorrow, 29, partly cloudy. It's going to hover around the high 20s, early 30s all the way through till Thursday. Bit of rain developing Wednesday night. Hopefully not too much because I'm going to see Midnight Oil. I hear it was brilliant <laughs> for those of... Did he fall off the stage? Someone, someone have an accident? No, it was um, uh, Jim Mogany, torn hamstring, I believe. Ooh. Kent, can we get you on the mic? Come on. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> you, you might recognise Kent's voice from radiotherapy and mm. occasionally eat it. Yeah. Um, it was great. I saw them last Monday, uh, Monday night, um, which was their first of the three, I think. Yes. Um, and it was... I went in, I tried to manage my expectations going in, you know, and tried to not be too nostalgic, you know, treat it on its merits, I said to myself, treat it. And it was still brilliant. It was awesome. Great. Yeah. Fantastic. I have to tell you, Kent, while well, we've got your voice on air, a few months ago I was listening to Triple R in the, in the morning and I thought I heard you on the Breakfasters. I thought, oh my gosh, Kent's on the Breakfasters. 
No. It was Tex Perkins. <laughs> There you go. Can we get you to sing for us, Ken? <laughs> yeah, you really don't want that. Yeah. Excellent. Thanks for that. Uh, anyway, there's that little diversion. So Wednesday, 28 shower or two developing. Um, Thursday, 19 shower or two. Friday, 20 shower or two. And Saturday, 22. Um, they never give the prediction for rain on Saturday. I guess it's too far away. They don't even bother. They don't want to shatter our illusions of a great weekend No, that's up. right. But, you know, rain, if you can hold off Wednesday until, I don't know, Maybe midnight, that would be good. Um, now, tide times, Point Lonsdale high tide at 6.51am. We've already had that. Low tide at 12.21pm and then a high tide again at 7.48pm. If you want a surf forecast, go check out Swillnet. We're under strict instructions from Dr Surf to not read from the paper because it's proven to be inaccurate in the past. <laughs> Okay. It's only because of it's nothing against Wellnet. It's just by the time this goes to publication, the conditions sometimes change. So right, if, you, okay. if you want the latest up-to-date forecast for the swell heights predicted, go and check out Swellnet. How about some news? Well, I'm going to start off actually with my uh, story about Molly Steer and she's the, the nine-year-old girl from Cairns in Queensland who's got a campaign that she started early this year to rid her hometown and the Great Barrier Reef of single-use plastic straws. So she's got a campaign called Straw No More. And if you look at that on Facebook, she's got over a 1,000 likes. We've got 900 and something. So she's only just ahead of us. Um, and she's, this is really quickly gaining momentum, this campaign. It's been taken up by more than 10,000 students across Australia. And it's also had some global um, attention. And she started this campaign after she went to see a movie, uh, a documentary, A Plastic Ocean with her mum, um, which, you know, showed her how much rubbish is in the oceans and, and how many animals it kills every day. And she was really quite upset about it. So mm. uh, she loves turtles and uh, was very disturbed to hear that they sometimes get straws up their noses and uh, die from consuming plastic. So... Uh, the estimate is we use, and this is quite disturbing really, 500 million straws each day. Each and day? Each day. That must be worldwide. And if you line them up end to end, they'd wrap around the world four times. <sighs> That's pretty frightening. Mm. Um, so the problem with straws is that they're made from polypropylene, uh, a type of plastic, and it floats. So, of course, it travels easily out to sea like, um, you know, plastic water bottles. Uh, and it's and one of the biggest threats to it is that it, um, other than getting entrapped in animals and animals consuming them, is that um, um, organic chemicals and other nasties can stick to them quite well. So they help to distribute those uh, chemicals around the ocean. And uh, so I just want to tell kids out there or and grown-ups too, if you're listening, um, how you can make a difference just by getting out there and doing something. So Molly's convinced her school... Kids at school are not to use plastic straws anymore. Fantastic. I've got to take this home. My daughter is obsessed with straws. so <laughs> She's <laughs> at that age. She's at that age. So I'll start a local, local campaign in my house. But um, And it's just a really great initiative and shows the difference you can make even when you're just nine. That's great. Yeah. Maybe she could have one straw that she could kind of reuse. Well, you can get reusable ones. You can get them made out of um, steel or um, bamboo. They make bamboo ones. Mm. Or, or you could just have paper, really, so... They are single use, of course, but at least like, their impact on the environment isn't as great. Yeah, or even the hard plastic ones and then just keep reusing it. Yes, that's right, the hard plastic ones. You know, and you can just drink out of the cup. Mm. Well, <laughs> that too. <laughs> drink out of your keep cup. Yes, that's right. I've got mine here today. Excellent. In fact. Good-o. 
That's great. That's it, yeah. So Fantastic. Can we put a link to that on our Facebook we will, page? Of course. And I've been very neglectful, um, kind of diverted by kind of, you know, <laughs> life dramas and not managed to update our Facebook page. But you're so good at this, Angeline. Well, we didn't we didn't haven't put a post about today, but I did change our pictures. So I've got a, a picture of your beautiful uh, mermaid cupcake <laughs> as our profile pic. Oh, wonderful. <laughs> Thank you. That's awesome. Now I've got a couple of uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna hold this news until um nine thirty instead of our dive report and we'll get Terry to do a dive report for us uh, when she comes on the phone. Um, very, very exciting news about the Raise Awareness campaign to uh, to uh, draw attention to some terrible practices going on um, in terms of uh, awful... Uh, look, the way... I'm not going to be graphic. The way that rays are treated by certain people, um, they accidentally catch them and, and then do some horrific things to them. Anyway, the Raise Awareness campaign has um, gone great guns in really leading a very positive uh, campaign to bring about awareness and ultimately change. I'm going to make that announcement at about 9.25. Indeed, you are on Triple R. Radio Marinara is the name of this program and we cover all things wet and salty, including some uh, amazing work being done by our next two guests and they have been on this program only a, a few weeks ago. Harlan and Jamie, good morning. Good, good morning. morning. And welcome back. Thanks. <laughs> now, you were in a few weeks ago talking about the work that you did in your entry for um, a science talent search competition and you were one of the winners, which was fantastic. You won a bursary. Jamie? Yeah. Yeah. So you've come back and this this all happened because we had a bit of, I had a bit of a chat with both of you but also with your mums after the show and and um, they were both telling me how interested you are in the marine environment but also in um, in some of the conservation work being done, some of the clean up work being done, all sorts of stuff to try and make the marine environment better because it's in a bit of trouble, isn't it? Yep, lots and lots of lots and lots of years of us throwing all sorts of things into it. So um, we we thought we might start by talking about Seabin, the Seabin project, and we've mentioned that before, haven't we, Angeline? Briefly on the show, we have mentioned the Seabin project before. Yeah, yeah, just when it was sort of being talked about. So let's talk about Seabin. Let's start with the basic question: What, what is Seabin? What's the uh, Seabin the project? The Seabin is a project made by Andrew and Pete. It was made because they felt enraged by the amount of ocean plastics that were polluting beaches and docks. Okay. Um, so, uh, right. Um, how was it developed? What? How did they go about developing it? So, sea bin, presumably it is a bin that sits in the sea and cleans up plastic, is that right? Uh, yeah. Yeah? So, how did they go about inventing it? Well, they went about inventing it since it was just released previously. Yeah. They, I think, they first, like, they tested out as a prototype and they went to Spain to also further help develop it. And so a prototype. Tell me about the prototype. Mm, I think the... Harlan, can um, you talk about the prototype? How did they go about developing that? Well, the prototype originally used a Hessian bag, right. Hessian fabric bag, but in salt water, it swell up too much, disrupting the sea bin's pumps efficiency. Yeah. Okay. So, it, Angeline, do you know much about the sea bin in terms of the prototype? This is news. I haven't heard about the the prototype development before. No, I I don't know much about their prototype development. But it, yeah. but it did start. They were working in harbours, weren't they? And they they were really horrified at the amount of rubbish 
that was washing into harbours and then decided that they needed to develop a bin to collect it. Yeah. And I think they went over to Spain. I think that was like a uh, economically a good place to... To trial, to, to trial it out. Yeah, yeah. That, that's about as much as I know of that part of it. And so the hessian didn't work. That's what you're saying because it swelled up too much. Yeah, and then sw- and then the pump didn't work. So yeah. So how does it actually work? Can you so describe how it actually works? They used a recycled ocean plastic bag. So that I think it means they got plastics from the ocean and then turned it into a plastic bag which they could use for the sea bin. So it's sort of a domino effect because they catch plastics and then they use it to make the more sea bins. Okay, right. So the plastics that they actually extract from the oceans get get taken away to make more sea bins. That, yeah. That's yeah. cool. That's cool. How does the pump work? Where does how does the is, does it need energy to work the, and how how does that actually work that part? Well, as far as I'm concerned, the pump is the bin's energy source and it actually powers the bin. Right, so how does so the pump powers the bin? What powers the pump? Um, the pump is battery powered, so you can get energy from any source. Um, they wanted it to be renewable because if it wasn't renewable, it would be sort of kind of defeats the purpose yeah. of of having it. Yeah. Um, they would you they got renewable energy sources such as solar power to power a battery, which would then power the pump. Okay, so the pump is powered by solar, and so that that way it's it's out in the ocean, so there's not really gonna be anything covering up the solar, um, is there? So it's it's basically got unlimited power. Well, actually, it's not out in the ocean. It's sort of in marinas, ports and docks. Okay, all right, brilliant. And so can you talk us through a little bit um, through the, the timeline of how it was developed? So we talked about this prototype and, and the hashing didn't work and, and what happened after that? Uh, after I'm pretty sure the hashing didn't work, they probably, like, they planned it more, but they had to further develop the C-bin for the prototype. Right. I was just going to say, you know, to describe to listeners what it looks like, mm. it just sits on the surface of the water and, it, and it underneath is a is a bag and that's where the rubbish is captured. Um, so I guess, you know, it's submersible and then um, the water gets pumped back out into the ocean. So it just it's sort of like a skimmer, I suppose, right. that skimming effect. Uh, awesome. Yeah. So it just kind of sits there and, and, it, and the, the plastic all kind of gets sucked in. Yeah. And then how does it get retrieved? What happens? So the plastic's all kind of collecting in a bag. How does it get retrieved? Does someone have to go out and grab yeah, it? Uh, someone goes out and grabs the catch bag, okay, which holds all the rubbish. They empty that and then replace it with... Another bag. Another bag. Yeah, and in the meantime, they take all this plastic back, and then they can yeah. they can recycle it. Wow, that's so cool. So, has it been released yet? For can people buy it? Is it available on the market to buy? Uh, the sea bin has been released like last Monday. Last Monday, so it's only just come out. Yes. Fantastic. And who's likely to buy it, do you think? Is it something that can be used out in the open ocean or is it more sort of in marinas, closer to shore? Who who would be the sort of people who might buy it? Well, the target that I think they're aiming towards are mostly the people who are at marinas and docks. Right. Great. I was just going to say it costs about uh, 3,000 euros. If anyone in Australia is listening that has a marina that would like one... <laughs> And uh, I'm just going to get my cat currency converter out to work out how much that is how in Australian dollars. It's interesting if you break it then down. Do you, do you boys know? 
I'm pretty sure it's five thousand Australian dollars. Five thousand right. Australian dollars, awesome. But reusable, of course. Note that, yeah, reusable. Keep using it. Yeah, and solar powered, so there's minimal energy costs. And you think about, um, I suppose, the uh, amount of uh, work that doesn't have to be done to manually go there and clean up all the plastic because yeah. this thing is just going to do the job. It sounds like one of those things you put in your pool and it just goes around and sucks up all the leaves. And you know, you just lie there and drink a drink on the on your lounge chair. Fantastic. Yep. Any other words, boys, about the sea bin? Is there anything we haven't covered that you want to talk about? Um, no, not really. Not really? Well, there is one, but not entirely the problems they face. While doing the sea bin, it's not a huge problem, but it's still a problem. It's about the location of the sea bin, about where specifically you place it in. Okay, so what's the problem? Is it... Because it, it does it get in the way of the boats, maybe? Or? Well, maybe that way, but it may also be blown away by it or like tidal waves. Ah, so it's a bit vulnerable to the elements, <coughs> yeah. Harlan? Another thing, it can also, it can't also go in places like the Great Pacific Garbage Patch because it's A, too rough, and B, there aren't any people to empty the catch bag. That's right, spot on. And because it's such a massive big piece of water, isn't it, the, the yeah. Pacific Ocean, yeah. you're going to need someone to go out there and empty it out. So maybe it's, it, it, doesn't, it means that it's, it's a great solution for um, inshore. Yeah? Yeah. And yeah. Let, let's hope we see lots of sea bins start popping up everywhere. I think 5000 Australian dollars is when you look at marinas and how much those yachts are all worth. It costs a lot more than that, that's right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> maybe a bit of a whip round that, that the yacht clubs might be able they to, um, at, to at afford At Christmas party, maybe. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Fantastic. Boys, thank you so much for all your research. This has been great. Thank you. Now, would you like to come back and have another topic to talk about? Anything that's kind of that you're thinking about at the moment, what would be your next thing you'd like to research? Well, we already research and we're considering talking about Boy and Slat's Ocean Cleanup Project. Fantastic. Oh, great. Yeah. I love that project. Yeah. We're, um, we, we kind of see you guys as potential future Boy and Slats. What do you think about that? Yeah, I think that's good. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Thanks so much for coming in. What do you got planned for the rest of Sunday? Um, I don't know. Maybe getting a haircut. Nice. <laughs> Just go and chill. Do the chill thing. Go and invent a new virtual reality game. Research another project. Awesome. Well, we'll look forward to... We'll have it, I'll have a chat to your mums and we'll organise a time for you to come in and, um, and yeah, come and talk about another, another subject. Okay. Brilliant. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks. We've been speaking with Harlan and Jamie and uh, about Seabin. And it's great stuff, isn't it, Angeline? It's fantastic. And it's yeah. all, you know, there's not going to be a single quick fix for these massive issues. This is going to deal with one particular. Well, I guess that's why there's still issues for us is because they're so hard to deal with. That's right. Yeah. And um, and the the uh, the great ocean cleanup is is the big one that everyone's looking it at. It is. I think they're still on target for having those booms out next year. Brilliant. Yep. Fantastic. I wanted to give it a little bit of a drum roll. Um, you might recall over the last few months, I suppose, PT Hirschfield keeping us updated regularly on the campaign that she's been leading along with um, quite a few other regular divers around Port Phillip Bay to raise awareness about some um, atrocious practices of how the rays have been treated. Uh, just awful footage that emerged um, 
just basically the equivalent of shark finning for for our beautiful rays. So anyway, through some incredible positive campaign work that they've been doing and lots of very sensible discussions and looking at at ways to try and get this changed, uh, an announcement was made during the week um, by the uh, Minister for Fisheries, Yala Pulford, who's announced that fishing fishing laws are going to be tightened and uh, it's going to be illegal to take rays, skate and guitar fish or banjo shark from around piers, jetties, wharves or breakwaters. So that's that's the, the real um, significant, uh, really significant part to this law change is around um, being becoming illegal to take rays from around wharves because this is where this has all been going on. Yeah, it's good to hear about that protection because they're such um, beautiful, gentle animals. I, when I worked at the Melbourne Aquarium and we were feeding the animals, I mean, they were always beautiful and engaging and gentle and, you know, not... not um, you know, not going to give sharks a bad reputation, but they really didn't want to have anything to do with us. But the the rays were just more curious and inquisitive, and you know, it is it's it's heartbreaking to see people hurting them when when you know they're actually quite quite gentle. That's right. So bag limit. Um, as much as I still, I don't even like the thought of even one being taken, but I understand people do this and we have these laws in place. But it will be reduced from five to one and uh, anglers are going to be banned from reeling in the creatures larger than 1.5 metres wide as well. So 33,000 signatures they ended up getting on their wow. petition, which is extraordinary. Um, Project Banjo, it was called, in a, in a relatively short period of time. And uh, the state government ended up getting more than 1,200 submissions uh, relating to the matter. So really fantastic. Congratulations to everyone involved and really great to see what can happen. It's one of those rare circumstances where conservationists, recreational fishers, regulators all come together and go, yep, we recognise there is a problem here and let's do something about it. Yeah, it's really terrific. Looking forward to uh, having a few people on to talk about it and celebrate this great announcement in a few weeks' time. Uh, Angeline, we've got time for a, a quick story. A quick story? Well... Bron, you know, I never thought I'd be talking about whale poop on air, but I'm going to. <laughs> Whales and mammals. Well, they, they are. They poop. They are. I was reading a story in The Age last weekend um, which was celebrating the work of two marine conservationists, Micheline Nicole and Kurt Jenner. They're mm-hmm. from uh, WA. And they were talking about uh, pygmy blue whales and how they're seeing less and less of them and, and what a problem this is for the oceans, which made me then go and research, what you know, what is this problem? So, you know... Whales are really important for the ocean to to keep their marine ecosystem healthy and not just because uh, they're at the top of the food chain but because um, their poop is an important part of that food cycle um, and it's a really it's a really fascinating story so the southern we'll just focus on the southern ocean for now because that's uh, where you'd find these whales it's a very high nutrient but low chlorophyll um, area so Phytoplankton is abundant. Uh, abundance is, is sorry. Phytoplankton's phytoplankton abundance is very low, despite there being major nutrients like nitrate and phosphate, phosphate and silicate, because the critical nutrient that they need is iron. Right. And that's not something that um, comes as a, a natural source. And, and for a long time, we thought it came from terrestrial inputs into the ocean, such as dirts, uh, dirt being washed in. But in fact, it actually comes from whale poo. Wow. Yeah. So so whales um, 
uh, feed deeper into the in the ocean, and they actually come when they come to the surface to breathe. They actually defecate at the same oh, time. That's when they, they do it. They do it then. They don't actually do it in the lower parts of the ocean, which is quite weird, isn't it? I wonder if it's something to do. I'd love to know how it works physiologically. Whether they just come to the surface and then they it's something to do with them taking a breath in and you know not having to concentrate on swimming or their buoyancy or something. There's something not, physiologically yeah. that enables them to to do it then. Well, I'm not sure, but it's pretty fascinating. Yeah. But fortunately, they do do it then because the, the poo, which is quite high in iron, which they get out of the krill that they eat, is then released into the water and mixed and the phytoplankton then use that um, and then that feeds the food chain again. And if those and the, the important thing about the phytoplankton, if they're not eaten um, by the krill and other animals, then they die and sink to the bottom and that's a carbon sink. So that's also um, like a really important um, part of this cycle. So, you know, in short, they um, blue whale, a, a blue whale can consume about two tonnes of krill per day. So that's an enormous uh, amount. Wow. And um, if you had about 12,000 um, sperm whales, which we do in the Southern Ocean, that would remove about 200 tonnes of carbon per year from the atmosphere in that loop that I just described, which is equivalent to 70,000 vehicles um, travelling... 15,000 kilometres per year. So, you know, it's a really important thing and it and it's, you know, heartbreaking when you see other nations insisting on killing whales and removing them out of the environment that what they don't understand is how they're um, having a greater effect on our planet. That's right. Yeah, so I thought that was a really fascinating story about how important whale poop is and, and how important whales are to the, to the ocean environment because you could sort of... Envision, you know, if we didn't have whales, well, I guess you'd just think, well, it'd be less fish being, less krill being eaten. But in fact, it's actually more more serious than that. Mm. Yeah. I want I want to be. Uh, imagine being that that PhD student or the the researcher that gets to go out there and just wait for the whales to surface <laughs> and then swim along behind them with a big plastic bag. I don't know. I want, I'd love to know how they actually go about getting their well, samples. Well, I think they uh, go in um, boats and, oh, and collect yes. it. But also those, um, <laughs> you know, we talked. I talked a few weeks ago, maybe a month or two ago, about snot bots, which are those... Um, uh, little things that people are <laughs> stuck for thinking of their names now, but uh, remote aircraft that oh, people have drones, drones, correct? Yep. Um, that they would be able to fly around and take samples, yeah. which is which is much easier to control than trying to get a boat up near a whale. But um, the poo sort of got that, and sometimes you're quite liquidy, I suppose, but it's quite orangey because of the krill that they oh, eat. Right. And I imagine really stinky too. Yeah. Yep. Maybe. I don't know. I studied limpet like, poop <laughs> when I was doing my PhD. Most up krill are quite um, pun- like orangey and uh, smelly and pun- oily. Yeah, yep. no, mushed up microalgae don't really do anything. Probably not the no. same. No. That was fun. Thanks, Angeline. You're welcome. That's awesome. Yeah. We are very pleased to welcome into the studio to join us from the Victorian National Parks Association, Kate Mills. Good morning, Kate. Thanks, Brian. I was uh, very inspired after seeing those kids in here. <laughs> it's good to see, isn't it? Oh, it's fantastic. It's re- they were, you know, originally coming in as a one-off to talk about their um, their science talent quest entry and they were so great, so enthusiastic and we had this big old chat in the green room afterwards and they were telling me how interested they are and they're doing their own research and I thought, oh, we really need to get them back in. Oh, look, them and their mates are going to learn more doing that than they will in a couple of days in classroom. Yeah, exactly right. So it's time to dust off the snorkel and, you know, <laughs> squeeze into the wetsuit. Although 
our divers out there have been diving all winter round. The Great Victorian Fish Count's coming up. Yeah, it, it, and as you said, a lot of people dive year-round, but for some it's kind of the kick-off and just the reminder that you can go and explore the bay, you know, five minutes down the road from the city and you can jump in the water and we've got a lot of amazing diverse marine life and people use this as a way to get started for the year. That's it. So maybe for people who are listening and haven't heard of the Great Victorian Fish Count, it's been going for quite a while, hasn't it? This will be the 13th year. Wow. So for me, this That's is my awesome. second year running it. Last year, I won't say I had no idea what I was doing, but I was just getting myself familiar with it. And this year, I've sort of got my head, wrapped my head around it a bit more and been able to add a few new things to make it a bit more interesting. But it's, it's basically a treasure hunt. We provide a list of species that people can go out there and find. We have images on slates so they can compare it. And the best analogy I've been able to come is, is it's like, when you go out with someone that knows what birds are, like the different yeah. species of birds. To me, and I'm still embarrassed to say, a lot of the time they're just birds. Yeah. So that's a brown bird, that's a blue bird. <laughs> and it's not until someone points out all their different behaviours, the way they move, the different colourations, the fact that they've flown from the other side of the world that you really start to get amazed and just like, oh, my God, there's a lot going on out there. We've got that in our backyard. We've got that in Victoria. We've got it in the bay. And so it's just getting people out there and starting to realise that a fish is not a fish. You're absolutely right with that analogy to um, to bird watchers or twitchers. They're called, aren't they, twitchers? Yeah, we haven't come you up have with a fish up. version yet. Yeah. They came up last year on the ABC and I think they was David Assel who does the crosswords and stuff in the age. Um, but no one really came up with anything that grabbed me. So it's out there. If anyone's got a good idea, yeah. let us know. Maybe flippers or something like that. It doesn't really work though. No. Anyway, awesome. So the 13th year. So um, you've, I mentioned before you came in, there's an exciting addition to this year's card. So every everyone who goes out there and takes part gets a card. It's kind of like Spoto, isn't it, too? It's a bit like Spoto that kids play. Like on the road trips? Yeah. It's exactly like that. Yeah. So you have the slate on one side, you have the images of the fish. And this year, and the timing well, the coincidence is quite amazing, especially with the announcement you made earlier about the Project Banjo and the hashtag Raise Awareness. Yes. Now, before we move off from that, you were there when the announcement was made, weren't you? We had a, a presentation night at VMPA to um, basically get some people excited for the fish count and get them out in the water enthused for the year. And PT was giving a talk that night about the work that Project Banjo had done. And I think about three hours before she was due to give the talk, she found out that the regulations have been changed as a result of all the hard work. So it was a great celebration. It was a fantastic night. Yeah. Anyway, back to what you're talking about. Yes. So this year we've actually added some sharks. Well, sorry, I meant to say friendly sharks because I have a feeling some people in the media may take sharks a different way. So some basically some sort of you know, some friendly sharks, the Port Jacksons, the draft board sharks. What else have I got here? Very carpet shark to the list and also some rays. So it was one of the things, getting ready for the presentation and after, you know, talking to PT about what she was doing, you jump onto Fishers of Australia, which is, you know, run by Di, Bray and Martin from the museum, and you look up the information that's there for sharks and rays or rays in particular and, and unless they're of commercial interest, there doesn't seem to be much known about them. There's generally this statement, very little is known about their biology and ecology seems to um, follow every entrance in them so i thought well the fish count's a great way just to get started get the ball rolling get people out there and to be honest it's one of the highlights of the dives for people like 
most people won't go, I saw a RAS today. They'll be like, I saw a smooth rain. It's about the best size of a car. Yeah. So it's it's about engaging people again on another level, but also just finding out some basic information about, you know, where people are seeing them in different locations. Yeah. It's so fantastic to see Ray's finally getting some positive PR. And they have been in the past, I think, lumped in that same basket as sharks. People are scared of them because of the sting on the end. And of course, what happened with Steve Irwin, which of course is tragic and, and awful. But there's this... Um, there's this stigma around rays. I've noticed sort of with my own kids when we've sort of gone off onto a jetty and seen a ray coming past that it's a um, – they kind of move from being having that fascinated um, reaction to them to suddenly being scared of them. And I kind of – I've often wondered what causes that because you don't tend to get that with manta rays. Manta rays have got the good PR. They're the big, majestic, you know, beautiful – almost kind of Millennium Falcon equivalent of the of the the other rays, which I'm bringing Star Wars references in. But anyway, <laughs> it's, it's it, that's that's what yeah, I found. Yeah, I think it's how you interact with them and how mm. you come across them. So stingrays, you know, there was what happened with Steve Irwin, but also a lot of people know stories of someone that stood on a stingray in the shallows yeah. and copped a barb, and it is painful. Mm. I haven't um, had one myself, but I've been around when someone has, and there's a lot of swearing and crying and yelling for mum and dad and all the rest. But, and that's the way people see them and interact with them. But if you're in the water, whether you're snorkeling over the top or you're sort of diving, and one of them comes sort of gliding past you, I think all that tends to disappear. Oh, you, yeah. There's, They're and spectacular to see. I hate putting human emotions and feelings onto marine animals because it doesn't quite work that way. But they are so graceful and they're not threatening. Mm. So when they're swimming past you, they're not threatening in any way. They're mm. not sort of attacking or any display towards you. They're just doing what they do. Mm. And when they move past you, people will just stop. They just stop and watch. And, you know, you'll after a dive and I used to be an instructor and if people see them, it's the first thing they say is like, that stingray is amazing. How does it move like that? And, yeah, that creates that sense of awareness. So it's how you first interact with them and how you see them, I think. So if people are listening and want to be part of the Great Victorian Fish Count, you will get a um, um, a page which is a bit of paper or it'll be a, will it be a slate, it'll be... Waterproofed. It is a slate. It's a yeah. So it's like a um, yeah waterproof slate with the images of the fish on one side, and this year we get to flip over, and you've got the rays and the friendly sharks on the other side, and then there's always a bit of blank space at the bottom to include anything else that you see that's not on the list. Great. And are you looking for frequency of spot of spotting these animals, or is it just that you've spotted one? Uh, it's it's also well, sorry, it's that you've spotted it, but also the number that okay. you see. And then that sort of worked out amongst the group. So the groups running it have the protocols sort of sorted and we'll introduce people that way. Fantastic. And all where uh, whereabouts on the coastline will you be conducting it? Everywhere. The fish okay. count's done all the way along the coast. So it's a really active groups down at Warnable and I was chatting to them last year and they have it. It's almost like a get-together for people and some people fly in from WA, drive in from Nil, and it's like their annual sort of get-together and go for a dive and it's quite a social event. And even over in Beware Reef, over in the East Coast, so Don Love yep. over there always manages to do a fish count for us and he sort of, I guess, represents for the east side because there's not too many people diving over there. It's mm. a pretty hard place to get in. And obviously around the bay there's a lot of dive stores, um, community groups and all that that get on board. I think we're looking at about 600 groups, 600 people this year. Fantastic. And a lot of schools are starting to get on board and if any kids are listening and their school isn't doing it, ask why and try and get them involved because great. it's a great activity for kids and it's a great activity for schools that fits well with their curriculum. Yeah, and you don't need to be a qualified diver to do it, do you? 
No, well, we get snorkelers. Yep. Most of the people doing it are, tend to be snorkelers and there'll be community groups and there'll be people, the Friends of Marine Reserves and things like that and school groups now, yeah. And we were talking um, in the green room before you came in uh, in reference to Harlan and Jamie who we who were in and kids getting involved. So you've got some specific family activities as well? Yeah, we do this year. We're able to... We're actually running two events ourselves and by running, I mean, we're getting someone else to do the in-water stuff but we're promoting two... And we're calling them Wild Families events. So at VMPA, we have a, um, a program called Wild Families. And it's just to fit that gap between people that have kids that want to get outdoors. But a lot of activities cater for kids, a lot of activities cater for adults, but not too many cater for families to do. Mm. So the idea is we've got a Wild Families event down at Rye Pier on the 18th of November. And that's with Dive to You. So AJ... Yep. from the sponge program is going to be him and his instructors are going to be running that and if you've got kids over eight come down i think 20 bucks for a family if you're not a vmpa member and that's all the gear and all the instruction and everything provided for 20 dollars wow yeah it's we're subsidizing a lot of that yeah but the idea we just want i guess more families out there together and snorkeling is something you can do as a family it, there's nothing better my daughter started snorkeling when she was three three and a half and I think her favourite fish was a King White Georgie. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> but to be able to do that with her all summer was yep. fantastic and you're, you're always outside. And so we also have another one running down at um, St Leonard's Pier and so that's through Ballerine Snorkel Tours, which is Jared Board. I don't know if you've had Jared in before. Um, little known fact about Jared is he actually has a letter from David Attenborough <gasps> in his house. Oh, wow. So if you want to know more about that, maybe you should talk to him. Yeah. But that's going to be on the 16th of December. Right. And so information for that we can you can get on the VMPA website. Just go to the Reef Watch section and click through to the Great Victorian Fish Count. Great. And the actual fish count is on a particular weekend, isn't it? So it starts on the 18th of November, so next Saturday. Yep. That's when we'll be down at Rye and yep. then it runs all the way through to the 17th of December and it, it allows groups of flexibility to you know, fit it into their calendar whenever they like. Yeah. Great. And this Guinness Book of World Records attempt, are you going to be part of that? Unfortunately, I have my in-laws uh, oh, coming no! over from America and I will be doing what most people that like the marine environment do when visitors come and take them down to the Great Ocean Road and yep. trying to squeeze in a surf while I'm there with them. But I've been promoting it as much as I can and yeah. encourage everyone to get involved. And, yeah, I'm quite disappointed, but... Um, Maybe they'll try and beat it again another time. Yeah. We'll put those registration details on our Facebook page. And this time we really will because Angeline's sitting right next to me doing Facebook updates now. Thank you, Angeline. Um, before we let you go, Kate, we wanted to mention the Australian Marine Sciences Association Victorian branches um, thing coming up, thing, event, spectacular, <laughs> showcasing Victoria's marine science. Do you want to have a quick chat about that? Yeah, well, I guess I should say I'm the secretary of... AMSA Victorian branch and that happened because I didn't turn up to the AGM and said <laughs> I wanted, would be involved. That's how it happens. <laughs> so part of that job is also helping him promote some of the activities. And so yeah, on uh, Friday the 17th, 6 to 7.30, as you said, we've got six amazing speakers just covering a diverse range of topics that people are working on in Victoria. And to begin, it's just, it's just the tip of the iceberg. And what you'll find is the people in the, in the audience are doing amazing stuff themselves. So it's a great opportunity to come along and meet these people. So we've got Di who gave a presentation for VMPA recently on the work that they did off the east coast of Australia with great. the deep sea stuff. But she's also got footage 
that she's got from Noah of some of the like, footage of the faceless fish but oh. alive in the water. Oh, wow. Footage of the, footage of the spider fish and she's showing stuff like that and it's just incredible. Noah is the US... Oh, sorry, um, yeah, the yeah, US government organisation that does a lot of their research. Yeah, yeah. it's sort of their yeah. equivalent of CSIRO, I think, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. That, that's, yeah. And so Di being Diane Bray from Museum Victoria. Yes. She's, she's been in here as well. She's a great presenter. She's too, fantastic. She's a lovely lady, yes. Uh, and... Um, uh, who else do we have? Uh, so, so we got John Buckridge from um, talking RMIT. about oh, yeah, RMIT, talking about Ricketts Point and citizen science and the work that he's done with people and the way he's been able to inspire and I guess they inspire him and you know they're the people that take the message of science around. Uh, we got Paul Carnell from Deakin University talking about blue carbon. So it's probably a word a few people have heard here and there, and Paul will be able to explain what that is and how that's relevant to the states and I guess also looking after um, our environment going forward. And then Stefan Howe from Parks, you've probably talked to him before yep. and I think he's talking about all the things that go bing. So maybe that's a Monty Python reference. Yeah. Uh, but he's just a lot of the technology oh, okay. that's coming into the management of parks and the understanding of Parks Victoria, the, the work they have to do. And Rebecca Morris talking about the using nature to protect coast. So a lot of their sort of shellfish reefs and using um, intertidal and subtidal habitats to help protect shoreline from uh, sea level rise. And then, I'm not sure how to pronounce this name. Uh, Heroin Verbruggen? Heroin, thank you for that, yeah. Talking about algal biodiversity, and this is the one that I'm going to be disappointed again, something I'm going to be missing out on. I'm going to miss out on this, but basically suggesting that we've, we what we don't know about algal biodiversity, we're about an order of magnitude out at the moment. Wow. Yeah. So we thought there were a lot of species to begin with. Yeah, apparently yep. there's a hell of a lot more. Wow. And we're just starting to find out. So this is, um, it's called, the, the evening is called Leading Marine Scientists. Uh, oh, no, no, it's not. Showcasing <laughs> that's Victoria's Marine thank Science. Thank you, thank yes. you. And uh, the description is Leading Marine Scientists Share Inspiring Stories About Marine Science Research and Discovery in Victoria. So it's all local stuff. Um, really fantastic. So details, when and where? It's on at Story Hall at RMIT on the 17th of November, 6 to 7.30. And you can get tickets through Eventbrite if you just type in showcasing Victoria's marine science or just marine science Victoria and it'll provide a link through there. And it's $10 for general public, I think $8 if you're a member. And there's also a chance to sort of catch up with a lot of the speakers afterwards. There's a little event that they'll announce on the night that you can go along to and just talk to some of the people about the amazing stuff they're doing. Great. Thanks, Kate. Pleasure. Absolutely wonderful. I'm going to try and get along to this on Friday because it, it really does look fantastic. Angeline's quickly putting those details up on our Facebook page as we speak. We had a caller actually, uh, a name for fish counters, scalers. As I a possibility? Like yeah. Yeah. I like it. Twitches and scalers? Yeah, but uh, rays and sharks don't have those oh, scales, so oh, we don't, don't want to oh. you know, be excluding any groups now, do we? <laughs> yeah. we'll, we'll keep those suggestions coming in. Thank you so much, Cade. Good luck. And um, yeah, we'll catch up soon. Great. Great. Thanks, Cade Mills from the Victorian National Parks Association will put all those details on our Facebook page. I think Angeline's already done that. Thank you, Angeline. And we're back on. Thank you, Kent. <laughs> we got Terry Allen on the phone for the world's fastest dive report. Good morning, Terry. 
Hi, Bron. How you going? Yeah, good, thanks. Sorry, that station announcement went a bit shorter than I was expecting. Um, now, we were going to talk about the trip that you've just recently had to Christmas Island to talk about um, the, sh- the crab migration. But I think what we might do instead, given we've got about a minute and a half left, can yeah. we just hit you up for a super quick dive report and then I'll talk to you off air and we'll um, line up a time for you to come in in the next couple of weeks. Yeah, sure. Yeah, so um, you know, the uh, spring diving has been quite good. Um, Visibility is a bit murky at the moment, I think, from the rain we had last week. And very interesting that the temperatures have actually plummeted. Um, they were up to nearly 17, and the bay's gone back down to 15, which is really unheard of for November. Um, so, yeah, don't know what's going on there. I guess we've just had quite a cold uh, winter, spring, and the ocean's about 12. Um, we've got the, do- the fish count, as you already mentioned, our dive club. Ocean divers are going on December 9 to Flinders if anyone wants to join us. And, of course, the world record attempt on the December 2nd you've already mentioned. Um, and, uh, yeah, outside it's been pretty good. Just to very quickly mention that the cray season reopens soon. I know that's a bit of an interest to some divers, not all. But just to remind people, you must have a fishing licence and there's a new system in place now where you must register and get plastic tags and you need to tag your cray after you take it. So um, very important there. And that's, I think it helps for a couple of reasons that they can help sort of uh, people register their crays and I guess it's a way of um, monitoring what's being taken. Great. Um, yeah, so... Awesome. Thanks, Terry. I'm so sorry for cutting you short, but um, I will actually, if you stay on the line and um, as we hand over to the doctors, I'll come out and have a chat to you about um, organising a time for you to come in hopefully in the next couple of weeks. Yep, no worries at all. All right, great. Thanks, Terry. Okay, bye for now. Oh, I'm so sorry. Um, all right, and we've had another caller. Um, Nat has suggested gillies. I quite like the gillies. Yeah, it's the winner gillies. so far. Yeah. yeah, that's cute. We can use that. Yeah, yeah, I reckon we could. We could. We can workshop that. All right. Look, thanks, um, everyone. Thanks today um, to uh, Harlan and Jamie for coming in. Thank you, Cade. Um, thank you, Kent. He's been keeping us busy. We know we've had some calls coming in. Kent usually takes our phone calls, but he's been um, weaving his magic on the panel today. Um, And so thank you for that. Uh, Thanks also to Angeline. This has been a podcast from 3RRR 102.7 FM in Melbourne. Truly independent community radio. Want to hear more? Check out our website at rrr.org.au.